0: two passages of Scripture today, both of them from the Old Testament, one from the Gospel of St. Mark and one from Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, Galatians chapter 6 verses 14, Mark chapter 8 verse 34, and Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. This is the word of the living God in honor of its reading. Will you please stand now? Beginning with the Gospel of St. Mark, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me and then from galatians chapter 6 verse 14 may i never boast of anything except the cross of our lord jesus christ by which the world has been crucified to me And I to the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A number of years ago, Robert Goodrich, who at the time was the pastor of the First Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas, preached a sermon. And he preached that sermon on a program called the Protestant Hour. It was a national program at the time. And he preached a sermon entitled, The Cross in My Pocket. And in that sermon, he said that he had a small aluminum cross that he carried in his pocket. And he talked about that small aluminum cross. And then at the end of the program, he offered an opportunity for anybody who wanted to call in or write in or make contact If you would just, if you'd be interested, he said, we will send you one of these crosses. Well, it was the largest response they had ever received to any program on the Protestant Hour, And literally thousands and thousands of people asked for those crosses. And in the subsequent years, those crosses have appeared in a variety of places. And one of those crosses later appeared in one of my father's pockets as a result of later Bishop Roberts Goodrich's message. It might be that some of you have one of these little crosses, or you may know somebody who does, and if you would like one of these crosses, they will be available to you as you leave today, so you'll be able to get one of your own to carry. A woman by the name of Verna Thomas wrote a little poem about the pocket cross. It goes like this. I carry a cross in my pocket, a simple reminder to me that I am a Christian no matter where I may be. This little cross is not magic. It's not a good luck charm. It isn't meant to protect me from physical harm. It's not for identification for all the world to see. It's simply an understanding between my Savior and me. When I put my hand in my pocket and bring out a coin or key, this cross reminds me of the price He paid for me. It reminds me, too, to be thankful for my blessings every day and to strive to serve Him better. In all I do and say, it's also a daily reminder of the peace and comfort I share with all those who know my master and give themselves to his care. So I carry a cross in my pocket, reminding no one but me that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, if only I'll let him be. Again, I want you to know it's an aluminum cross, and for me, it's just there for me to wrap my hands around throughout the day. It's also here to remind me of who I am and whose I am and and what I am supposed to be about, because sometimes, sometimes things can get a little cloudy and fuzzy and muddy. But the cross clears all that up very quickly. In the passage I read for you, the second passage particularly, Paul says, I have only one thing to boast about, and that one thing is the cross of Jesus. It's almost as if he's looking back over his life at the ups and the downs. He's looking back at the pain and the joy, the good and the bad. It's as if he stands back and he looks at it all and he says, there's only one thing worth really talking about. And that's the cross. This little cross means a lot to me. Again, I know it's, just a cross, I know that. This little cross means a lot to me. For example, this little cross reminds me <clears throat> that I am forgiven. Every time we take communion in this church and lots of other churches as well, the pastor will say to the congregation, In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And the people will say that right back to the pastor. When I confess my sin, when I repent of my sin, when I bring myself all that I am, the good, the bad, the ugly, when I bring that to God, His promise is not condemnation. His promise is that I am forgiven, not because of how good I am, not because of how good you are, God's forgiveness is not based on your goodness. It's based on His grace because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I am forgiven because the ultimate sin debt was paid at a place called Golgotha, also known as the place of the skull where Jesus died for you and for me, the cross in my pocket serves to remind me that instead of being enslaved to my past forever, I am forever forgiven. Cross in my pocket. Listen, please. I spend lots of time talking about people And two people. I spend lots of time discussing with people things that haunt them from their past. Does anyone in the room believe that your past can haunt you? I spend lots of time listening to people who are haunted by something or some things that have happened in their past, either recently or long ago. And I can talk to them until about God's grace and His love and forgiveness. I can talk to them and talk to them, but guess what? The problem often isn't that God hasn't forgiven them. The problem is they haven't forgiven themselves. I'm almost tempted, but I don't want it to appear cheap, to say that the struggle isn't with God's forgiveness. The struggle isn't with God's forgiveness. The problem is with you shaking loose of what's bound you instead of walking in guilt or shame. So I'll just say it again. Would you believe me if I told you there are a lot of people walking around with guilt and shame? Churches are filled with them. Churches are filled with people who look great on the outside, but their head is low. They have a hard time making eye contact with you. The cross. The cross. The cross reminds me that I am forgiven and I am more. Are you listening? I am more than the sum total of all the things I've done in the past. The cross in my pocket also reminds me of the tremendous price that Jesus paid for me. It reminds me of the tremendous price that Jesus paid for me, for me. On February the 15th, 1921, in New York City, a little over a hundred years ago, at the Kane Summit Hospital, an unusual operation took place. In, In some ways, it really wasn't unusual at all. It was a simple appendectomy. The surgeon was Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. He had performed in his 37-year distinguished medical career about 4,000 a- appendectomies, so there really wasn't anything unusual about that. It was an appendectomy. But there were two ways in which this particular operation was Unique. The first was this was the first time local anesthesia had been used in a major surgery, the first time. Dr. Kane was a crusader for the use of local anesthesia. He felt that there would be opportunities to use it, and many of his colleagues agreed. He thought it would really, really help in surgeries. But it was difficult to find a volunteer, you might understand. (laughs) You see, people were a little squeamish at the thought of being awake during their surgery. And so, finally, a courageous volunteer stepped forward, and on Tuesday morning, February the 15th, this historic operation took place. The patient was prepped. Wheeled into the operating room, local anesthetic was applied, and Dr. Kane operated and removed the inflamed appendix. Patient did fine, did fine. Only complained of mild discomfort, recovered pretty quickly, was discharged from the hospital a couple of days later, and Dr. Kane had proven his theory thanks to the willingness of the volunteer. He had demonstrated that local anesthesia was a viable and in some cases preferable alternative, local anesthesia. But I said, I said there were two things about the operation. One was the use of, of local anesthesia. The second was who the patient was. The patient upon whom Dr. Kane operated to prove his point was Dr. Kane himself. He had an inflamed appendix and he operated on himself. The doctor became the patient, you see, in order to convince the patients to trust the doctor. The doctor became the patient in order to trust the pa- get the patients to trust the doctor. It seems to me that that's something of what God has done, isn't it? God became human. God became human in order to enable human beings to trust God. Jesus Christ conquered death in order to convince you and to convince me that death no longer has any hold on us. Next Saturday... At Gary Bagwell's service, something, you will hear something along the lines. This life isn't all there is to life. This life isn't all there is to life. Because on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. This life isn't all there is to life. The Savior became the Son lived among us in order that we might trust the Savior. Another reason I carry the cross in my pocket is to remind me that God is present always, even in the most painful and difficult circumstances. Listen carefully. There are lots and lots of people who have no trouble at all trusting in God, but when something bad happens, sometimes the first question is, where is God? Where was God? On April the 20th, 1999, it's been a while now, April the 20th, 1999, is the... um, Anniversary of the Column High School shooting. Anybody in here remember the Columb shooting? Columbine shooting? I was watching a documentary on it recently and I learned some specifics I had never known before. For instance, it is the fifth largest massacre at a school in United States history. Fifteen students at Columbine High School died. Twenty-three others were injured, a nation was traumatized. In fact, Sadly, it took this event to first really shine the light on this epidemic of school shootings. Does the name Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold ring a bell with you? That morning, those two boys openly um, fired on their fellow classmates, randomly fired on them, Stephen Benson, at the time, was the pastor in in Littleton, Colorado, where Columbine's located. And that morning, he was in his office. The phone rang. It was his wife calling from a bagel shop. Her voice was frantic, and she said, They're shooting at Columbine. I can hear the shots, she said. He went to the school to see if there was anything he could do, and when the carnage had ended and things had calmed down, Dr. Mark Markhausen, a fellow pastor, asked the district attorney if it would be possible to hold a um, a go in and, and anoint those bodies, the bodies of those dead young people. He was given permission. He went in and he anointed the bodies. The authorities, by the way, subsequently found 56 bombs in that school. Stephen Benson called a worship service that night at his church. It was 8 o'clock service. But before entering the sanctuary, somebody gave him a big stack of papers. There were 400 emails alone from youth groups and teenagers saying, we're praying for you. We are so, so praying for you right now. The words of Stephen Benson are these, so I'll quote him. We start the service. I close my eyes and lead a prayer. I open my eyes to see one of my friends, a confirmed agnostic, who swears he's never going to go to church slip in the back door we sing hymns and pray and the choir sings and one of our teenagers who had been cut on broken glass and had Eric Klebold shoot over his head as he ran got up and led a prayer the prayer of saint francis of assisi lord Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. And then another teenager stood and read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you th- where do you think God was that day? Where was God that day? I mean, was He at the far reaches of the universe, busy shaping some kind of galaxy? No, I want you to know on Tuesday, April the 20th, God was there, just like on Good Friday, when His own Son died, execution style. God was there. So I carried this, this cross in my pocket, and one of the reasons is to remind me that God is present no matter how dark the day. Have you ever had a dark day? Maybe a better question is Have you had any dark days recently? Things are a mess in this world, have you noticed? Regardless of whether you feel it or not, God is present with you. And people, please hear this. God is bigger than your feelings. There are lots of reasons I suppose I carry this cross, but I'll just mention one more. I carry this cross in my pocket To remind me that Jesus said, I have a cross to bear as well. Not only did he carry a cross, but he said, I have a cross, I have a cross to bear too. If you would follow after me, did you hear that passage? If you would follow after me, take up your cross and follow me. Each day it seems to me that we are called to pledge our allegiance to God's kingdom in the way we live, in the decisions we make, in what we do. We're called to do that. Let me share a little story with you and I'll close. In the late Pat Conroy's book, The Prince of Tides, if you've never read The Prince of Tides, you need to read it. He tells the story of a guy named Tom Wingo. Tom Wingo grew up hating Good Fridays because his grandfather, Amos Wingo, every Good Friday walked out, of his, out to his shed behind the house in Colleton, South Carolina, and he'd bring out a 90-pound wooden cross that he had as a result of some religious experience. And on every good Friday, from noon until three, the old man would walk up and down the streets of tides, reenacting Christ's walk. Well, Tom hated the fact that his grandfather did this. How embarrassing can it be? How embarrassing? Because in a small town, people know everybody, right? And everything about everybody. He was embarrassed He would have much preferred that his grandfather observe Good Friday like normal people in an orderly way, going to church, praying, singing the old rugged cross instead of carrying one. But he did it. Congesting traffic at intersections, sweat discoloring his clothes, and every year Sheriff Lucas would have to issue a citation to him because he was obstructing traffic and parading without a permit. Every year. But every year, the members of the First Baptist Church would take up an offering and they'd pay the fine for him. Every year. Some people, when the old man dragged that cross down Main Street in Colleton, some of them would scorn and laugh at him. Others would look at him and just kind of have their mouth open. But Tom Wingo was embarrassed with his grandfather Wingo, huffed and puffed in that solemn reactment of what Jesus did. In fact, Tom wanted his grandfather to take his, his act to Charleston <laughs> or to Columbia or some other big sin city so they could get away from where it embarrassed him. And it embarrassed the other members of his family, too. I mean, think about this. It embarrassed the other members of, in fact, Amos' wife, Tom's grandmother, every Good Friday, would disappear into her bedroom with a bottle of gin and stay there till Easter morning. (laughs) Every year. Finally, in Tom's junior year of high school, he got up the nerve to ask his granddaddy about it. His grandmother said to him, She said, your granddaddy's out there at that shed. He's getting that big old cross ready again. Son, do you think we're a normal family? Tom said, "Uh, well, uh, you're the only family I've ever had. And she said, well, we're not. Ours is a nut house, and he's the king. So Tom decided to go out to the shed where his grandfather was and ask him, Why he did that? What made him do that? And the old man looked at him and said, Son, our our Savior died. And I tell you, Tom, when I get under that cross, I feel the weight of it. It reminds me not just of what I've done, but of what he has done for me. So on that Good Friday, he lifted that cross, laid laid it on his shoulder. Sheriff Lucas arrived, made out the annual citation, and some of the people booed, and Tom's grandfather walked back and forth. But on his face, Tom said, on his face, there was a serenity, some kind of serenity that you couldn't explain. There's an old hymn, I won't sing it, and you'll appreciate that, that says, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. During the Lenten season, we have slowly, slowly, slowly been walking you toward that. Toward the cross. Because at the cross, everything changed. And I wish I could give you some kind of feel-good, warm, fuzzy here. But I just want you to realize... There's a cross for you to bear as well. So today, when you leave, if you want to take one of those, please do. If you don't, don't. It's yours. I just want to remind you that the cross is where the debt was paid. And no matter what you've done, the debt has been paid for it. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for reminding us today of how great is your love because every single time we stare at the cross, we can't help but remember what you've done. And so today, dear God, we bow our heads before you and we bow our hearts before you and we simply praise you for your goodness and for your grace. And Lord, we thank you for loving us the way you do. And Lord, if, if, if there's someone in, in, in this place today who needs to come and talk to you, to just speak to you, O oh God, just open their heart to you, may today be the day they do that. Today as we, as we offer ourselves to you, Father, remind us, How great, how great is your love. So great that Jesus would die for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of his people said,